one little girl in the 845 uh, service nominated, gave us a form that, in which she nominated her dad as elder because she said he is elderly. And so... <laughs> That's fantastic. (laughs) Probably not the qualification they're looking for. Although we do accept elderly people. Friends, I'm really excited to um, introduce introduce to you um, our preacher today, um, Percy Strickland. Percy and his wife Angie moved here in 2000 for Angie to start medical school and for Percy to start leading a varsity at University of Richmond. They joined third almost immediately in 2000. They've been members ever since. Percy... Um, led the diaconate for many years here. Um, he then went with me and others down to East End to start East End Fellowship, where he continues to serve as an elder there. Um, Percy and his wife Angie uh, live in Churchill, and they um, started chat Churchill activities and tutoring out of their home living room way back in uh, 2001. And since that time, it's grown to be what is probably the largest uh, program and um, community that is serving at-risk kids in the East End of Richmond. Percy recently transition leadership to others um, where he stepped down as CEO, and sadly, um, Percy and Angie and their family are moving to South Carolina um, in June to take up a new call there. Um, Percy is a graduate of Union Seminary and, unfortunately, Duke, but we'll um, forgive him for that. He is um, an ordained minister in the Evangelical Church Alliance, uh, and he's a dear friend. So let me pray as we read God's word this morning as we continue to see how Jesus incites the revolution. We thank you, Father, for the word of God. We thank you that it casts light into our darkness. And we do pray for your servant, Percy, and for all of us that we would not just hear your word today, but respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. People of God, hear God's word. It is absolutely true, and it is given to you in love. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, and because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. All right, it's easy for us to just skip right past and be jumbled with ideas and miss what's really happening in the scripture. So today, I'm going to ask all of you to stand, and we are going to vocalize and sing the main points of this passage together. Some of you may even remember the hand motions to it. I encourage them. Please stand. Stand. 
Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. You gotta shout it. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. You may be seated. I think we all got the main points now. I want to give a special shout out to the old school folks that knew all the hand motions. That song has not been in the normal rotation for some time. Once again, I'm Percy Strickland, and um, they do the offertory early, so you can't ask for a refund. I'm not Corey this morning, but I am deeply thankful to be here. Um, This place is home for us, and 17 years, which is hard to say, when we wandered into a new members class over there, we didn't think we were going to be entering into a relationship with people that would become family, that we would love who would walk through uh, with us through some of the most difficult and exhilarating times of our life, and we would have the opportunity to do the same with them. As I look around in this room today, that's who I see. And so I'm so thankful. And on behalf of me, my family, Churchill Activities and Tutoring, and Easton Fellowship, I say thank you to this congregation that so faithfully not only supported, but prayed for us and come alongside us in every conceivable way they can. So I want you to hear that from the East End this morning, because it's heartfelt. That song, and matter of fact, I didn't know they were going to do that song, but that song was a part of my sermon before I got here today. That song is so profound to me, because in my small little backwoods church, my grandmother was the only one that knew how to play the piano, which means she got the dubious honor of being the pianist, the choir leader, and the youth choir leader. I'm not sure why we even needed to separate them because of the raw numbers. But this was one of those songs that was her favorite. And what I remember is that part where the music would stop, and he said, and I'll never forget my grandma, and she would put her finger out, and she would say, Zacchaeus, you come down. And I always felt like she was talking to me. Like, right? Like, I always thought, like, she's pointing to me right now. I'm supposed to come down. And you know what? That's what I want you to think today. It's very easy for us to come to Scripture and envision characters that Jesus is interacting with and for us to not identify with them. Zacchaeus might be one of those characters. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not any of those categories, but what I want you to realize is that we are all Zacchaeus. We are all Zacchaeus, and we all find ourselves up that tree trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, not knowing what what he's going to do or what he can do. And we're all hoping today that he points up to that tree, he sees us and acknowledges us and says, come on down, I'm going home with you today. And so I want us to know that. I want us as if I was leading you in that song like my grandmom did. When we point that finger, I want you to say, I'm Zacchaeus. I'm Zacchaeus in this passage. You see, we are in a revolution. The king has started one. The revolution of the king is is nothing like the world has ever seen before. In normal revolutions, 
There are battles, and of course battles are fought by armies. And usually the armies that win are the strongest, the best prepared, the most informed, the most competent. And yet when we see the revolution of our king coming, it is askew from our expectation. He is not picking the strongest or the greatest. He is picking the weakest, the sinners, those in desperate need of help, those that have wandered and are now lost. We are all Zacchaeus, and we are up a tree. And so, we have some questions to ask about this revolution today. Who in the world will God choose, will Jesus choose to be a part of this revolution, to be a part of his army? Who will he choose? Why in the world is he choosing them? And then, what will they do? What can they do? These are powerful questions. We're going to start with the first. Who will Jesus choose? Well, we already know in the story. Jesus walks into Jericho. Jericho is a sizable city during this period of time. Jesus has a plethora of people. A crowd has gathered. And you know what? I bet in that crowd there were people that were very influential. I bet there were religious leaders. I bet there were people that were connected. They had their hands in everything that was going on in Jericho. Seems like the wise thing to do was maybe connect with those. They desperately wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to know Jesus. They had heard about his teaching. They had heard he heals. Jesus walks right into the middle of this crowd He looks up in a tree, and through the power of God's Spirit, he said, that's my guy. Zacchaeus, he calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, you, you, come down. Who is this Zacchaeus? The chief tax collector. Now, nobody here likes the tax man. Nobody. In any culture, you don't like the tax man. But let me explain to you how it was very different in the ancient Near East. The Roman system was actually kind of a smart one. What they did was they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get local people because they know everybody and they know their situation. We're going to hire them, but here's how it's going to work. It's a bid system. So whatever local person can come to us and say, I will extract the highest percentage of revenue from these people, that's who gets the bid. So that means one will come and say, I'll get 40% of everything they make. Another one comes up and says, I'll get 45. Another one comes up and says, I'll get 50. Whoever goes the highest wins. But here's the problem. They don't get a percentage of that. They still have to extract more money over that to get paid themselves. So that means if I take 50% from you, I've got to take an additional 10%. So if you, I don't know if you're great at math, I'm not. That means 60% of your total income is going away immediately. And if you don't, guess what? You get killed. If you revolt, guess what? You get killed. There's a theme here. So you do it. So how do you think that puts somebody like Zacchaeus? You think he's on everybody's get him a Valentine list? You think people are loving Zacchaeus? They hate Zacchaeus. They hate him with a passion. He represents betrayal. He represents the worst types of collusion with the Roman oppressors. That's what he read. He's the bad guy. He's the worst of the worst. He's like the boogeyman. He's what you tell your kids about. If you're a bad person, this is what you become. 
And guess what? Jesus doesn't walk into this town and it's empty. And the only person sitting in the middle of the town is this rotten Zacchaeus. And he picks him. He walks into a crowded space just like this. He identifies through the power of God's spirit, the most broken, the weakest, the biggest sinner. He acknowledges him and he calls him. And he says, I'm going home with you today. This is the business that our Heavenly Father is in. These are the kind of people. So if you came here today and you say to myself, you know what? It's hard carrying this facade that everything's put together. It's hard to pretend another day like everything's working. That I'm I'm going to keep a lid on it. If your sin management system has completely broken down this week. And you feel like you're ruined. You've come to the right place today. Because Jesus is here. He stepped into this crowd and he sees you and he's calling. So we know who he will choose, but then the question becomes, why in the world is he going to choose them? Why would he choose that? Now, I was very confused about this as a child. Once again, I told you, I grew up in this little country church, and we, we actually express almost every stereotype that you can imagine of a small country church. We are like, we always joke, we're like this far from being snake handlers. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're that close. So we were in the middle of a revival meeting. You guys know what a revival meeting? That's where we go to church five nights in a row. And every night the preacher tells you, this is the last night you can get salvation, but then there's another night. Right? Like... So it's really confusing for a 10-year-old. And I mean, once again, stereotypically, we're getting hellfire and brimstone. I mean, like, it's coming. And he's yelling, and the guy's worked up. I mean, I was like, get that guy another suit. He sweat through that one. You know, I mean, like, it was amazing. And I'll never forget, it was Wednesday night of the revival. You know, I like to be punctual, so I'm not going to wait till Friday to accept Christ. I'm going to hit it on Wednesday. So I, we're driving to church. I'm 10 years old. And we're in the car, my mom and dad. And I'm like, mom and daddy, guess what? Going to walk down that aisle tonight. Going to go to that altar. Going to accept Jesus. And my dad, my dad just sort of slows the car down on this country road and sort of pulls over to the side of the road. And I'm like, what's going on here? And he says, well, why don't you tell me a little more about that? And I'm like, man, you're a horrible parent. Like, what parent? Like, just be excited, man. I said I'm going to follow Jesus. Just get excited about it. And he's like, why don't you tell me about it? And so, of course, in my 10-year-old mind, I explained to him actually the real reason why I was doing it. I said, listen, Daddy, Tuesday night, you know what happened? Jason and Billy, they walked down that aisle, and they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. Now, Billy was my cousin. He was 14. And Jason was my other cousin. He was 11. And I just looked at my dad, and I said, Daddy, I'm going to be honest with you. Billy's mean. Billy's like the meanest kid on the planet. My, maybe the universe. And, and I'm like, he's horrible. And then I was like, Jason, my cousin Jason, he chews tobacco. He's like 11, chewing tobacco. And my dad's just sort of looking at me like, I don't, I don't quite get where you're going. Like, and I'm like, listen, if Jesus has got that kind of crew on his team, He's going to need somebody that's good. He's going to need somebody that doesn't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with those that do. He's going to need somebody that goes to bed at nine. You know? Jesus needs me. 
With a squad like that, he's never going to get anything done. And my dad sort of looked and he said, maybe that's not a good idea for you to go down tonight. You see, my dad was real to know I had a complete misunderstanding of who I was in this scenario. I am not the good guy in this story, right? Guess what? Zacchaeus is not the good guy. We are not the good guy in this unraveling story of salvation, of this revolution. We are actually kind of the enemy. So why would he choose weak and broken people, the enemies? Why in the world would he do this? Is it because of what we can do, because we're qualified, because we bring so much to the table? No, it's a very, very simple answer, and it only requires one word, grace. Grace. He takes the weakest, the most broken, because he is in the jar of clay business. In 2 Corinthians, we hear that God intentionally invest his resources in jars of clay. Jars of clay were the disposable cup of the ancient Near East. He does it to show that this all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. He is intentionally assembling a team of broken, incompetent, sinful people so that he can show the world, I'm the one that wins the battle. I'm the one who is strong. And I can use anyone, even Zacchaeus, even you. Now, I'm going to be honest. We have a lot of great books, don't we, about Jesus' leadership style. But how many have you seen that say recruit like Jesus? None, right? Like, nobody thinks this is a viable plan except for the God of the universe. You know, Jesus went out. He picked 12 men. I wouldn't have picked any of them. They were uneducated. They were rough around the edges. Can you imagine if Peter the Apostle, the man with no filter, had a Twitter account these days? Can you imagine him live tweeting his early days of ministry? Yeah, totally just called down fire from heaven on some fool. Hashtag winning. Like, he just does ridiculous things, and that's just what we have recorded. Can you imagine what, what wasn't recorded? What they had to edit out? You know, just because he was the rock on which the church was founded. These are the people that Jesus is going after. And the question is, are we? And do we see ourselves among them as those that are broken and weary and incompetent and desperate need of a savior? Again and again in the New Testament, what we see is there's only one qualification for ministry. One. Grace. There's only one qualification that is mentioned. We've been with Jesus. And you know what? Zacchaeus has been with Jesus. He's been in his home. And so, who? Weak and broken. Why? Simply grace. And then what in the world can they do? Well, let me tell you. They can do whatever the grace of God empowers them to do. And what does that oftentimes look like? Oftentimes, it looks like amazing things, but even more often, it looks like ordinary things made amazing. Do you see what Zacchaeus does in response to God's grace? Jesus doesn't come into his house and say, Zacchaeus, wow, you're a really rotten dude. 
You really, now that I'm with you, you need to do this. You need to sell half of what you have. You need to go make amends with all the people that you swindled. Jesus doesn't say a word. He doesn't offer a new law. He doesn't do any of those things. Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed by the grace of God poured out in his life. He is so filled up that he says, forget law. I'm giving half away to the poor. There's no, there's no law in the Bible that tells you to do that. There is a law, however, when you have wronged people financially, what you have to do. You have to pay it back with 20%. Is that what Zacchaeus does? He says, whatever I did, I'm giving them back four times more. You see, the grace of God moves us beyond simply justice to generosity. It moves us beyond counting the beans of our self-righteousness and trying to be more and more right to a place where we can radically step forward in the freedom of the generosity of God. And Zacchaeus does it. He gets in. When I think about this grace and how it empowers us, I think oftentimes of a roller coaster. Now, I've been working with inner city kids for 15 years. And one of the highlights, or lowlights, as you might say, is always our trip to King's Dominion. I've taken as few as 50 and 60, and I've taken upwards of 200. Young inner city kids up in King's Dominion on sweltering July days. Mmm, can't you just smell that sweat right now? (laughs) On an unair conditioned bus. Mmm, take that in. Feels good. But one of the most exciting things for me was the first couple of years we went, I could not convince. We, we would go home at lunchtime. We'd get there at 10 and go home at lunch. We could not convince these young people to get on these rides, these roller coasters. They were scared. But after years of us saying, look at this thing. It's a huge hunk of metal. I didn't make it, so you know it's probably not going to break. I don't fully understand how it works, but I've been on it for a while. And can I tell you? It's awesome. It's exhilarating. It's overwhelming. It's a little scary. But it's great. And you know what? They got in. I think about the grace empowered life in Christ as a roller coaster. We get into that car, don't we? And the first thing they say is strap yourself into this vehicle. Lock it in. And then the other thing, and the first time I went in, I did not like when they said it. They say, keep your body, all your body parts inside the vehicle. Keep them in. And I said, why would they say something like that? I understood. Once we started moving, once we got up to that first build and it dropped. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to pee my pants. And I was like, this is awesome. I was scared and exhilarated. I was deeply regretful at the hot dog I'd just eaten. (laughs) All of these things were happening simultaneously. And I needed to keep my entire body inside of the vehicle. We are called in Christ. Our goal in appropriating the grace of God is to stay in the vehicle. To buckle in and to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. And to encourage as many as we'll listen, that this can be trusted. This roller coaster is not going to come off the rails. There is a real promise of God there. Now, my most exciting moment was when our kids started staying till 10 and 11 at night, till the close, because they were jumping from roller coaster to roller coaster. And we had a young lady, and she was courageous. Um, 
And she was also kind of large. I mean, real large. And some of the rides, they would try to say, no, you can't get on. And she's just like, nope. And she's the kind of person that she's real, when she's serious, you kind of do what she tells you to do. And so they were like, okay. Well, we were on this one ride, and honestly, the seat was too far for her short legs to reach. And I'll never forget, she literally looks over at me because I'm next to her. She grabs me by the collar, pulls me in close, and she said, you're going to lift me up on this ride. (laughs) And I said, you know, I don't, I honestly don't know if I can do that. She said, you better get strong. What a beautiful thing if that's what we did in this community, both to encourage each other to trust the grace of God that can do amazing things and make ordinary things amazing and invite people in. I've been on this ride for 16 years. And people think these extraordinary, yes, extraordinary things happening. I have an organization that started in our living room and there were people that were there. I've got a guy back there on a row that I regularly had to ask for $5 so we could give out cash prizes because the CEO of the organization didn't have $5 to his name. And now we have 40 plus staff. We're working with more kids. I go and speak at colleges now and students who formerly lived in my neighborhood come and have dinner with me. And they're involved in InterVarsity, the fellowship that brought me here. These are the crazy stories that the grace of God writes again and again. A broken redneck from Southeast North Carolina that ends up going to Duke University, who ends up going from poverty to the suburbs, back to poverty in a completely different racial and socioeconomic environment. Is that because I had faith? I didn't have faith at all. All we did was what Zacchaeus did. He followed Jesus to his own house. And when we followed Jesus to our house, he said, why don't you open the door? And kids flooded in. And that's all he's asking. He's asking us to commit ordinary things. It's ironic that he calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. He's the paragon of faith, right? He's what we think about when faith. What did Abraham really do? He moved. Anybody here ever moved? Everybody. And yet, when we take such an ordinary thing like moving and we submit it and we bathe it in the grace of God and we keep our body in the vehicle, he takes ordinary things and makes them amazing. And so people of God, hear me. If you are broken today, if you are tired, if you don't have it together, if you are incompetent, Jesus is here. He's wandering through this crowd and he sees you. And he says a very simple thing. Come on down. Be with me and let me go home with you. Why? Because of his grace. And what can you do now? Anything that that grace empowers you to do. I'm going to end with this because this has just been trapped in my mind as we came to worship today. This song, My God Fights for Me. There's this line where it talks about God consuming our enemies. And in the book of Exodus, literally, God drowns Egypt in a sea and saves them. But you see, our Savior Jesus does something so radically different in his revolution. He drowns our enemies 
even Zacchaeus, in the grace of God, and he transforms them from enemies. He destroys our enemies, and he gives to us brothers and sisters. He takes those who stood against and rebelled against both us and the will of God, and he returns them to us as friends and brothers and sisters. This, people of God, is what his grace can do. So I pray that we will enjoy it today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance, to a recognition of how broken we are and yet how loved we are in you. Lord, I pray as we walk from this place today that your Spirit will bury your word deeply, that we will know we are Zacchaeus and we know we are welcome. In Jesus' name, amen.